I uh, was always either like voluntold or signed myself up for some of those. <laughs> um, we, so, we've all been voluntold at some point. We've all been voluntold. <laughs> we've all been voluntold. This episode of the Student Housing Insight Podcast is brought to you by the generous sponsorship from BSB Design. So if you're involved with the development or renovation of student housing, I really want you to lean in right now. Have you experienced construction delays and cost overruns because the architect, they just didn't take the proper steps on the front end of the process and it's caused delays on the other side of the process what is it that benjamin franklin said uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure the architects designers and staff at bsb design live by that statement bsb design specializes in purpose-built off-campus student housing and they have over 50 years of experience in the multifamily industry They've got a proven track record for creating innovative and successful student housing communities what truly sets BSB apart is their unique design process. And if you haven't gone through it, let me kind of explain it. So unlike other firms, they conduct a, a comprehensive one to a four day uh, charrette is what they call it. It's a very meticulous approach that allows them to identify and address any potential issues early on. And that's going to help eliminate the delays and really ensuring a smooth project. I personally had the pleasure of being involved in this process with a mutual client between mine and, and BSB. And I just really can't emphasize you know, enough how beneficial it was. Uh, the on-site review allowed us to, to catch and resolve potential issues that, that could have caused some significant delays and headaches for myself as I was the one, <laughs> I was the one involved with, with opening it up. And so if you understand student housing, you know that if you miss a delivery for fall move in, it's going to add another, uh, certainly another year, if not two years to be able to stabilize that project. So don't waste any more time with subpar architecture firms. Experience the difference with BSB Design. Visit their website at bsbdesign.com to learn more. We'll also put that contact information in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO and founder of Student Housing Insight. Yes, Student Housing Insight is not only a podcast, but we are a platform for off-campus student housing professionals to connect, share ideas and data. You can find out more at studenthousinginsight.com if you haven't been to our website. Again, that's studenthousinginsight.com. So it has been a minute since we did our last Profiles in Student Housing episode. The last one that we did was back in June with Jessica Nix of Campus Life and Style. You know, I've got to say, I, I really love doing these episodes because I, I learn just so much about their journey of these industry leaders and what they've been through. And it gives me a deeper understanding of, you know, how they think about things. And I, I hope you've been enjoying these episodes as well. If you're new to the podcast, I, I would say these are the episodes that I would say, make sure you go back and listen to. I think we started them in January of 22. So, you know, just over a year, I guess that'd be two years here pretty soon. So they've been a lot of fun to do. And like I said, there's just a wealth of information that these folks share, especially on the history of, of the industry and, and how we've really come to a maturation over the past decade, two decades. But this month, I'm talking to Crystal Coleman, who is the VP of operations at the Scion Group, which is based in Chicago. Yeah, I've got to say, I've got a lot of admiration for Scion. They're a really great operator, but you know, we've got a lot of great operators in this space. So, you know, what makes them special? Here's, here's why, or at least the reasons that I've observed. One, they've been able to build out their platform without doing any third-party management. 
you know, that means they're able to focus solely on how they want to operate the properties without, you know, a lot of interference from third-party owners and, you know, third-party owners have, you know, different goals when it comes to an exit strategy or, or creating value. And, you know, for those of you who have operated both, you know, quote unquote, company owned assets versus third party assets, you know, which one you prefer to manage. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. The second reason that I really have this admiration for Scion is they've been one of the few companies to segregate their different asset types into separate brands. Crystal will get you know more into the details of, of that, but it's very similar to, to how Hilton or Marriott, how they've got different brands for different travelers. If you're more budget-minded, you've got Fairfield. You know, if there's something a little bit more middle of the road, I would say it's probably, you know, courtyard or residence in. And then at a premium level, you've got, you know, just the Marriott. And then um, you know, you go up to their luxury level. And you've got the JW Marriott, you've got Ritz-Carlton. And, and thinking about that from a standpoint of what Scion has done with, with their portfolio and doing that, it, it definitely took a lot of thought and a lot of just intention to pull that off, uh, especially in student housing. Now, I've seen some other folks do it in senior housing, certainly in co-living. But Scion has done a great job with it in student housing. My third reason, and I feel like this is kind of most important, certainly the most timely, is uh, Scion was really the first national company, for sure, to really jump into centralization for both leasing and turn operations uh, on a national scale, not just a certain region or you know a certain part of their portfolio, but they did it across their entire portfolio. And outside of this interview with with Crystal, I got to talk with several of the Scion team members in Vegas last week at the NMHC conference, which, by the way, was fantastic. Those guys did a fantastic job again. Uh, but anyway, I, I met with, with Scion's team there and you know had a ton of questions for them just about their process for centralizing, and it, it was really great to, to get their feedback and insight. In fact, I'm going to be moderating a panel at LeaseCon here in a few weeks on centralization, and I can't wait to you know, share with, with everyone, but especially with that panel, you know, some of the insight that, that I got from the folks at, at Scion on that. Speaking of LeaseCon, or I should say LeaseCon TurnCon, that event will be December 4th through 5th. It's here in Charlotte, North Carolina. The agenda just came out, and if you are involved at the site level or if you directly oversee a a portfolio from an operations standpoint, you really, really need to be at this event. I'll put a link to the registration page in the show notes, but you can also go to studenthousingbusiness.com and search for LeaseCon, and that link will pop up. Or you can go to our website at studenthousinginsight.com and just click on the events page, and we've got, a, we've got a link there that will take you to that registration page as well. All right, let's get into this interview with Crystal Coleman. Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Wes. I'm glad to be here. Well, this one has been a long time coming. <laughs> I, uh, I I put you on a, on a short list early in the year that I needed to make sure that that I got you in our profile series this year, and uh, I'm so glad that you got some time because things are about to get really busy for me, for what I understand. Yeah, just a little bit. You know, I was uh, actually asked to uh, speak at NMHC, but that is. Week I'll be on my honeymoon, so I will not be there at the NMHC conference. Sadly, well, congratulations! Yes, and thank you. yeah, where are you going on your honeymoon? <laughs> this is also funny. I will be in Vegas, so I will probably run into a lot of student housing folks at the same time. <laughs> well, I would I would invite you to the Top Golf event that we're doing, but I'm sure we are the last people you want to see. <laughs> if you can get my fiance signed up, I'm there. <laughs> Well, hey, um, you know, thanks so much for for doing this. And I think your story is is a little bit different from some of the other folks that we've interviewed in this series. And this is the first time we've interviewed anybody from from Scion in the series. And, you know, there's a different 
trail that's been blazed with with Zion. Uh, you know, the, they didn't take the third party route. You know, they've been very focused on you know what they're doing and creating their own identity and. I love it. I love what Zion has been doing. I think it's fantastic. I think it is certainly proven out and ready to get in and talk about that. But (laughs) for those in our audience that don't know, Crystal, give us a little bit of background on on yourself and the position that you're currently in. But then I want to get into just your origin story and how did that end up intersecting into, into student housing? I am the Vice President of Business Operations here at the Scion Group. I've been with Scion for over 11 years now. Came through an acquisition. They acquired a property that I was working at back in 2012 and just continued to grow my career. You know, I'm definitely someone that really believes in the company. If I believe in what they have going on, their perspectives, and they believe in me too. And, you know, we've just had a great journey together. So have kind of risen through the ranks, but started at the community, of course, and have had similar roles to like regional manager, kind of regional vice president, director of property operations, and then moved into director of business operations role. Fun fact, I actually created my own department in 2016. I was managing and overseeing communities and, you know, had this kind of observation, just like this light bulb went off and you know, I said, I think there's a real opportunity to have someone here in the corporate office, in the Chicago office, that knows a lot about operations, that can help bridge that communication gap, that can help work with teams and their initiatives. You know, we really started to manage terms centrally at that point, too. And at the time, leadership, there was just a lot that, you know, they really wanted us to focus on and manage from a portfolio standpoint. And I was like, look, I think we could really do this. So it was just a one woman show initially and, you know, (laughs) super proud, a team of 15 now, but the team has grown significantly and we've just really been able to provide unparalleled support for the property operations group. So we're all really in this together and it's been such a great journey. Yeah. I want to talk to you. We've talked in the past about centralization, but I want to make sure we jump into to some of that as well on this, because that, that certainly seems where the industry is is going. And you guys have had your hand in that for a while. So I think everybody could learn a lot from that. But let's go to that origin story. Where did you grow up? <laughs> what, what property was it that you were at when yeah. Scion acquired you guys? So grew up in a suburb right outside of Chicago. So I was born in uh, the north side of Chicago and my parents really invested in education for us. So moved us to Oak Park, Illinois, graduated there. And actually I was always someone that I needed to be busy. I wanted to always be just trying to see how I can continue to pave my own way. And I was very independent growing up too. So I started working at 15 at a bookstore. And that's, I think, when I really found my love and passion for customer service and sales. At that time, you know, I was there for many years. And then I eventually went off to college at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. Well, wait a minute. I want to park it right there with the (laughs) the bookstore job for a second. So was that like a, was it like a Barnes and Noble? Was it, was it like a mom and pop type shop? What, you got to give me the details on that. So it was definitely Bob and Pop. It was a local owned bookstore by a mentor who I actually still in communication with. And she comes to come to my wedding, actually. But nice. it was an Afrocentric bookstore. Like they focused on lots of, you know, just kind of cultural things that we could really have, you know, kind of the, the community come and purchase. We held all sorts of like book table events. We sold incense, candles, T-shirts, you name it. But I just loved it. And I had a very diverse range group of customers. I mean, people from the high school all the way to senior citizens that I was working with, selling books to, like I was going to book fairs. It was so fun. And so book fairs are like the same thing as housing fairs, you know? And so I think that's when I really found my passion for the service industry. Yeah. I love the mom and pop bookstores. And um, because it's just, you're probably not going to (laughs) find the book that you're looking for unless if... uh, yeah, it, but it's it's one of those things where it, it's kind of like the coffee shop, you know, yeah. You, yeah. you go exactly. in to, to have conversation with folks and, uh, you know, at a level that <laughs> is a, <laughs> it, you don't feel like someone is screaming at you. And it's, right. you know, I, I really miss it. 
there was one in my hometown and that that's where I guess I really kind of love that. It's been going for years. And then we moved to Charlotte and quite honestly, I have not seen one probably in eight or 10 years. Yeah. Everything is, you know, very commercialized and I get it. National companies. I mean, we all love our Starbucks coffee, right? But something about that local feel where you get that unique tailored experience I can't tell you the number of customers I had that would come in and just chat with me for an hour or two. It was part of my job, but it was yeah. also it was fun. You know, time just flew by. And then finally I was like, I think I'm supposed to close the store now because I have to go to high school tomorrow. Like I <laughs> So um, it was just a great experience. So it really kind of opened up my eyes to something I didn't think I would be doing. Cool. All right. So <laughs> let's get past the bookstore. What came next? <laughs> you know, at college and it, I know at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. And initially, I actually thought I wanted to maybe take an engineering path more in technology. Okay. My dad had a software company and quickly realized that kind of that wasn't going to be an area that I was super passionate about and wanted to pursue. And so, you know, work with my advisor and I realized like I love management, I love people, coaching, sales, operations, all of that but didn't know exactly what. So just started on this track and selling and sales manager management and then just pursued that as my major, right? You know, I was living on campus and then my friends and I decided to live off campus. And so, you know, we did that for a year and we learned about this new community that was being built in 2008. I was like, well, I got to live at the shiny new place. So we <laughs> went to the leasing trailer because it was a new build. Parents were with me and went to sign my lease there, of course, sight unseen. And I was just like, yep, I believe that you all will open up, like, putting all my eggs in your basket. Me and my style, I had a million questions. It was actually read through the lease, right? Believe it or not. I read through this 15-page lease and had all the questions. And she was like, wow, you're very thorough and detailed. And you also have sold me into like your personality and all of these things. And she was like, do you want a job here? And I was like, I didn't really plan on applying for a job today because I already had a job at the time. And so, of course, my mom was like, well, what does this mean? And she, you know, asked a million questions. And once the lady said that my housing we paid for, my mom pretty much signed me up for the job. Yeah. So here you are. I'll take an application. I, Go ahead. <laughs> no application. No background check. Just all of a sudden I was like fired. So it was actually really funny. And the lady. She was so sweet, but it worked out great. Obviously, you know, I uh, started leasing out of a trailer for this community and the community was called at the time Campus Suites. We were uh, being developed by a uh, Canadian developer, Henry Morton and his company, yeah. who I just absolutely adore. And they've just done they've amazing things, great properties. And so, you know, the building eventually opened. We hired uh, a general manager, Jessica Graves, actually, who was an RVP here at Scion. Yeah. So she was my boss for a little bit. That was interesting. I was the CA for her. We built the team and the community. I mean, we always lease to like 98%, 100%, just providing that experience there, loved it, and really worked my way up. I was very fortunate to have a GM who believed in me, who invested in me, saw my potentials. In about 2010, Jessica promoted me to be her right hand, you know, her assistant general manager at the property. And I was actually still in college and still dancing full time and everything else too. So, but I made it work because, you know, work is important to me and just making sure that I had that impact and, you know, it really kind of helped set my career up. So, yeah. And I just, I really continued uh, on that path. And then Scion came and acquired the community in 2012. So, so you're a dancer too, huh? Yes, I did dance in college for a modern dance company, so I was very busy. <laughs> so ballet or? We focused on a lot of modern, but then I also, just because I also did some like hip hop, swing, Latin, that kind of thing in high school. So I continue to do that like outside and extracurricular activities. So yeah. so I've got three daughters and, and my, my baby daughter who turns 10 um, tomorrow, actually. Wow. She's a dancer and I knew she was good. And then we went to a. A new studio. I don't want to get into issues with the other <laughs> studio. But anyway, we went to this new studio that we knew she was going to be like stepping up. This is just a bad brag moment. And um, she worked really hard over the summer because she knew she was going to have to really pick up you know, her game with it. And she ended up scoring a solo on the first season, whatever you want to call it, first you know, set of... Um, competitions for this fall and she just she loves it i mean i can't i have gone into her bedroom at like 6 6 30 in the morning 
and, and, and we homeschool. So there's like yeah. no reason to be up early except on the yeah. days that we have co-op and she'll be in there practicing. I mean, she's, it's just oh. nonstop. Is, yeah. Was it like there for you as a kid? Oh yeah. I mean, the dedication that I had as a, my parents used to actually, they forced me to choose because I would try to be in every activity like yeah. choir, spoken word, dance, soccer. And they said it was just getting a little out of hand because they had to drive me everywhere. And so you know, I ended up just really pouring all of my time and energy into dance. And then I still did some extracurriculars, but, you know, I was part of a couple of dance troops in, in high school, too. So it's a time commitment, but it's like it's the best thing. It's the most. Now, do you still do it? I don't. It's definitely something that after wedding planning, I'm like, you know, I think I might get into some ballroom classes or something because I miss it a lot. We're going to have to. Um, do you know Rob Castellucci with RoomSync? Yes, I've heard the name. Yeah. 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 So he's a ballroom dancer. No way. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We, we should at the next conference. We should. I was going to say, why don't they have any like ballroom dance classes at these conferences? I would totally take one. Yeah. No, he, he's he's pretty fantastic. In fact, I think if I remember correctly, I think he had a podcast on ballroom dancing. Wow. So, so how exactly does that work? But anyway, all right. Well, cool. I just had to, I had to investigate and go a little bit further on that because yeah, dancing's a big thing in our house. Yeah, no, I love that. Definitely a big thing throughout my, my journey. I, I still was dancing even after I graduated college for a little bit until I moved and, you know, was promoted to a general manager position. So now was that GM position in West Lafayette as well? No. So you know, throughout my journey here with Scion and just my natural curiosity to always just want more information to learn one of our perspectives as a lifelong learner. And so that was kind of really something I was tapping into. I was very curious about the GM role at the time when I was an AGM in 2012. And so Scion had a community, which we've sold now, but my baby, I always call it, but uh, the Lofts of Wolfpin Creek in College Station, Texas. Yeah. And so at the time, you're going to laugh, but it was turned. There was no GM. There was no facilities manager. The property was struggling. Uh, I think maybe move-in was in five days and like almost no vendors had started or finished anything. Gratefully, oh, Jessica had set such a great plan for us at Campus Suites. And so the two of us, like our move-in was done. It was great. We had such a wonderful experience. And so the leadership team at the time, they were like, well, since you're done, Crystal, would you mind going to help College Station? And I was like, uh. sure. <laughs> I didn't know what I was walking into. They didn't tell me the full picture, but I went and I I had some sleepless nights. I think one night, a colleague of mine, we worked until maybe 5 a.m. We went to the hotel, took a 30-minute nap, changed, and went back to the community by 7 a.m. So we were ready for move-in. So it was that kind of turn. Yeah, it was was interesting. But yeah, so they didn't have a GM. And I uh, am definitely someone that my parents called me like the project manager of the family, because if I have started a task, like I want to see it through and I want to make sure that it gets done the way I want it to. So I uh, left that community, right? I went back to Campus Suites, which is where I actually was working at. But I kept following up with the staff there and was like, hey, how's this going? Or did you finish this project that I left you with? You know, now that I'm back in my property doesn't mean that like these things still shouldn't be done. Did yeah. you follow up with this parent? Those kinds of things. And so the leadership team got wind of my persistence, I guess, and said, you know, you should just be the GM here because you're running the property from yeah. West Lafayette, Indiana. So, yeah, and I picked up my life from Indiana and I moved down to Texas. So I got that good experience in the in the South for, for a couple of years. It was really great. Nice. So what happened after College Station? Oh, gosh. Um, so after College Station, and I would definitely say that was one of my most proud moments in my student housing career that property, you know, wasn't leasing well, wasn't performing well, collection, staff, just kind of everything. So really needed it to be stabilized. Yeah. So got it to 100% leasing, occupied, residents were finally renewing, collections delinquency was down like below 0.05%. You know, I was very proud of my success and it was yeah. noticed. And so they um, asked me to take on a role like a national operations manager. Now we call them regional managers. And to oversee some communities and kind of, you know, spread the knowledge and just really help communities stabilize as well. And I loved it. I did have a lot of communities and a lot of different markets at the same time. So we weren't as structured. We were still really 
kind of that, that position was new, right? Yeah. So we were really kind of building it to develop in what we needed. We only had 12 properties at that time. And so we kind of split the portfolio between me and one other operations manager. And so, you know, I maybe had, I think, six properties and they had the other six. And then from there, Scion, we kept acquiring, we you know, did due diligence projects, those kinds of things. And so I uh, was always either like voluntold or signed myself up for some of those. <laughs> um, we, so, we've all been voluntold at some point. We've all been voluntold. <laughs> we've all been voluntold. But yeah, it really just, it just blossomed, you know, just the exposure I was getting. I would kind of volunteer to or be voluntold to just sign up for due diligence projects, onboarding, training new team members, taking on new properties. And at the time, of course, I was able to travel a lot more, but still it was definitely something that I always looked forward to is seeing my team. That's the one thing I miss the most is like going out to the community and having that community team. Yeah. Um, but my, my team here in Chicago and, and traveling is obviously amazing. So yeah, I mean, I, I then I became um, what we called at the time a director of property operations, which we ended up changing the position to be called an RVP, elevating that role. And that was also just as amazing. I had a team of a few operations managers, some who are still here at Scion, you know, had even more communities, I think up to about 19 communities or so, and kind of grew from there. And so like I was mentioning, 2016 was when I said, okay, I find such a a huge gap in making sure that our corporate teams really can focus and make sure that they're working with the property operations team more. I was really, really involved in hands-on in like budgets and turn. And so in 2016, I uh, kind of gave up my hat from property operations and created my department of business operations. So, and then here I am. There, and there you are. There I am. So uh, how big was Scion? What was the time range? You said there, you, you guys were at 12 properties. What what time range was that? Isn't that just hard to believe? <laughs> yeah. 12 properties. It was in 2012. There were 12 properties. So Campus Suites was the 12th acquisition, I believe. And then we, you know, had a couple of acquisitions. So like Dovetail was, you know, small. Actually, first it was 58 West, I believe, actually. That was Point at Western. And then we we acquired Avenue South, which was previously College Station, also in West Lafayette Market. And then from there, we started to do a couple of bigger deals, like mm-hmm. the Dovetail, which was, you know, kind of bringing on the Woodlands of Tuscaloosa, Woodlands of Columbia, which are now Red Point, Columbia, Red Point, Tuscaloosa. And then we started kind of really working with Harrison Street. So we had some larger acquisitions there. And we just continued to blossom. And so 2016, it was actually a pivotal moment for Scion because we acquired University House Communities. And we had, I mean, we just, the team is fantastic. Like Christina Poor, one of our RVPs, she was from that acquisition, Tiffany Irizarry. So a lot of folks that were working with UHC previously came over to Scion and have been just fantastic. They were based in, was it Dallas? Uh, Yeah, their main office was in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. That was obviously kind of a, a big moment for Scion because we also partnered with, you know, our two main events like GIC, CPBIB. And so such an exciting time. And, you know, we really just started to break the ground from there. So now how many properties are you guys at today? Now we're at 125. Wow. That is incredible. <laughs> so a few years ago, you guys did something that I think a lot of companies have tried, but quite honestly, I think a lot of them have failed miserably, <laughs> which is you kind of split up the portfolio into different categories based off of, you know, if they were cottages or if they were garden style or pedestrian to campus or whatever, and then you branded them. And it takes about 125 properties across the country to be able to, <laughs> to do that. But what was some of the inspiration behind that? And it might be worth kind of explaining what those categories are. There's a yeah. total of three, right? Yeah, three there's four. four. There's four brands. And that was in 2019, geez, 2019, yeah. um, 2018. <laughs> like time has just flown by. But that was such an exciting project that our, our brand team really worked on with our leadership team. And it was incredible like i think going through that process we partnered with simple truth they're um, an agency here in chicago and they i mean we surveyed all of our residents they brought you know kind of our leadership team and operations team as well interviewed all of us to really understand what is important to scion to the folks that are running the communities 
and really making sure that they could understand kind of the value of each of these communities, the site teams, and how these teams are also very different, right? Because I think one of the things that we didn't even realize, and each team already had their own personality, but when we went to some of these properties that were now in a light or now a red point, they did have their own kind of identity already. Yeah. And so all we did was really help them develop it and really help them brand it so that others within their brand could also share ideas and they could really collaborate together and get that effectiveness of what that brand meant. But I would say one of the things that the brand team did backing up is really making sure that people didn't find that their identity was just about the brand, the name, right? So like your red point, this, or your light, this, or your lark, that. It wasn't just about the name that you had. It was about the experience that you were providing to the residents. Mm -hmm. It was about that customer experience at the end of the day. So we they spent a lot of time, and all of us with operations too, we all spent a lot of time just making sure that our training was focused on the CX part before it really talked about like the brand, the package of like what it meant to show up, your uniform, your signage package, even your communication, every little detail was you know, kind of evaluated and assessed just to really make sure that it was always consistent from a brand standpoint and the efficiencies that we were able to have with the branding, just, you know, having four brands was like bar none amazing because instead of doing everything, I know now we have 125 properties, but then when we were doing the branding, it was like, you know, 50, 60 some, but we didn't need to do everything 60 times, right? Our, our graphic designer, everything could be done, you know, now four times, right? Yeah. And so there was just so many efficiencies and we really were able to focus on developing and curating that brand more instead of just pumping out graphics left and right. Yeah. There's a lot of efficiencies when you start doing that. Not, you know, I've been part of that branding process of a, of a portfolio and the way that you guys did it by kind of separating out based off of the, off of the product type mm -hmm. and kind of the distance from campus was really, really smart because what I was involved with, we were just buying everything and calling it the same thing plus the <laughs> <laughs> city or whatever. And an experience in West Virginia may not be the same experience that not because of know, training the staff or anything like that, just because the product was different, could be completely different from something in Chapel Hill. Uh, so the way you guys approached that was pretty insightful. I remember, gosh, I can't remember who it was uh, interviewed for it, but we, we did an interview with with um, Scion at that, at that time, just kind of give some background on it. And gosh, I need to go back and <laughs> remember who that was. <laughs> I in the archives, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, well, before I ask you this next question, I want to ask you, because based off of those positions, I mean, obviously, I know you love the position that you're in now. That's probably the best position is probably <laughs> what you would say. But leading up to that, what was kind of the one position that you kind of really just found your groove and you were like, yeah, I could probably do this the rest of my life? It would probably be general manager. Yeah. And as crazy as that is to say, because we put a lot of our general managers and have high expectations for them and they're rock stars. Like they, we were, I was on a panel last week at Entrada and we had talked about on our panel that the GMs are CEOs of their properties. They yeah. really are. And I truly believe that. And I felt like that, like the autonomy that I had to make decisions that were going to impact the resident experience, managing, you know, the budget, I, I, I felt I was running the business, right? I was successful because I had the tools that I needed Obviously, we were a lot smaller and there was a lot less tech to manage. So I think we were on like a couple of systems predating Andrada. Well, that will not be mentioned, but, you know, it was amazing. And all the residents knew my name. I made my business to know their name. And it was such a great time in my life where I could really see like the impact that I was having on their their student journey. And like, you know, them, I mean, their priority is college, their education. And that's what, you know, we were there to provide a clean, safe apartment and environment, a good environment for them. And hopefully that they, one that they can build good relationships with and network with people and, you know, kind of have those relationships after college as well. But I think, you know, right now, while I absolutely love my team, everything that I do, it's a little bit more difficult as you continue to grow up in the organization and you, your position elevates more to see like that exact impact that you have. And yeah. you know it, you hear it, you can see it, but it's not as tangible as like a resident in your face saying thank you. Or yeah. parents would deliver flowers. They're like, wow, this moving 
was amazing or thank yeah. you so much for taking care of my kid you know like that that is different and that speaks volumes so yeah yeah the the parent applause <laughs> is definitely <Yes. laughs> one that is very hard to to match that is for sure well hey I, you know that's been a fantastic career uh, but it, you're you're far from over <laughs> with your career so i know you were probably up like I am uh, a lot of times thinking about what's going to impact the future of this industry. And I just want to put that question in front of you. What are some of the challenges you see, you know, next five years to a decade that we need to be mindful of and that you're thinking we've got to find some solutions. In 2020 changed a lot for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard that a lot. And we always talk about it. We what what it, happened in 2020? What, I don't know. I We don't we, we don't mention COVID right now. But <laughs> I think that really just challenged the status quo of what we always did in student housing. And do we always have to do things the same way? Something I'm always proud about is that I've always been someone that's like, do we have to do it this way? Or is this the most efficient way to do things? Like, can we be a little innovative here where we you know, if we don't have to change it, fine, but can we make it better, whatever. And so I do think about those things, but I think as an organization, we made those commitments in 2020, right? I right now it's decentralized. But when you talk about challenges that I think the industry will face, kind of looking into a glass ball, I think it's trying to keep up with all of those changes ourselves yeah. and, you know, how innovative we're going to be and going to get, right? So you, everybody, the buzzword is AI. Like it's, crazy Uh, how much there's AIs out there and the things that it could do. I mean, there's a lot of good things, but there's a lot of scary, bad things. And, you know, wanting to make sure that we're very cautious and intentional about how we incorporate AI, I think, as a tool, because there's ways that it could be, of course, very effective and, you know, obviously lessen the burden or streamline processes for us. There's also things that it could do that maybe could, you know, hinder us or take away some of that experience that we pride ourselves on and want to provide for the residents. So, you know, I think just going into kind of some of these conversations and decisions that we're making with careful thought and, you know, kind of thinking about what is our priority, but obviously at the end of the day, you know, focusing on the business, right? So that resonant experience that's going to drive your NOI. And so what are things that are important levers that you can pull that Kind of continue to help contribute to it positively, but that don't sacrifice what's important to your organization. There's so much technology out there, like investing in what makes sense, what supports your community's mission, because the prop tech out there is endless. There's a lot of options out there that. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think it could blow up much more. And then, you know, over the past year with, with seeing everybody integrating chat GPT yeah. and building out other AI programs, it's like, this is a whole nother level. It is. <laughs> it is. Level. Yeah. And I mean, because in student, we're catering to that demographic that's faster and smarter and sharper. They get better every every second and they, they're they sharp and you got to keep up with that. Otherwise, they're going to look at you and say like, okay, should my mom be living here or is this a community yeah. for me? Right. So, yeah. you know, you just really want to make sure that you can keep up with that, like the phrase keeping up with the Joneses, but also still making sure that's authentic to your company too, because there's so much out there. So you've got to look at everything carefully. Yeah. So I want to, as a part of that, I want to talk a little bit about centralization and, you know, what you guys are doing. You mentioned earlier about, you know, handling the turn process from, from a central standpoint. What has that been like? What does it even (laughs) look like? Um, it's interesting. So, uh, like I mentioned, I started kind of my team, just really me, but in 2016. So one of my biggest objectives is really to make turn efficient. It was all over the place. We were smaller then though, too. So I knew every single GM, I can call them up by name, had their cell phone numbers and really starting with kind of vendor contracts was the first thing. And then working with them to make sure that they were all following the similar timeline, because if there was one thing we were going to do was make sure that we locked in our vendors early. Everybody yeah. is, right? But we were going to make sure that our teams locked in their vendors early. So what that process looked like, I, you know, worked with the legal team to develop a process to make sure that, you know, kind of contracts were reviewed, RFPs were very consistent, vendors knew exactly what we were asking for up front. So when they were returning, you know, kind of a, a the RFP back, they knew what our expectations were of them to move to contract phase. I mean, 
when I tell you the schedule was like buttoned up, like there was no room for <laughs> error. So we wanted to really make sure that our teams were following the specific playbook because it had worked. It had worked for these properties and we wanted to continue to replicate it and roll it out for other pro- properties, especially when we were acquiring more that were, you know, kind of doing something different with other management companies. And so it really kind of manifested into just not me, you know, kind of working with them on the turn vendor contracts and then okay, well, let's make sure everybody's placing their turn furniture orders at the same time. And now actually we really just kind of only work with a couple main furniture providers, which is great. But um, I also was able to work with some of our analysts and I had this vision for like a turn board. And it's so funny, these companies that are out right now, I used to have dreams about what a turn project schedule could look like in a project management tool. And then they created, I was like, great, you took the work off my plate. But, you know, these turn boards, I would work with analysts and we would test kind of different things. So one year we had a turn board that had macros enabled. So you would click a button and it would generate the sheet for you. You print it out, you give it to your vendor and that's it. It was great. Then we were like, oh, macros are kind of risky sometimes. So let's make it all formulaic, which also worked great. But how can we like automate these things and make it more efficient for our team? So all they have to do is just say, I want to get this done. Here's the schedule. A regional could check it and verify it, make sure there aren't any gaps and things are done. So my job was really to handle all of the centralized training, kind of the rollouts for any turn initiative, whether that was something that had to be done in Entrada, turn boards, contract management, anything like that. And making sure that, you know, that it went from planning stage, you know, obviously kind of the, the rollout and making sure that the teams knew what they were doing, the training stage and then execution, that they had a good movement experience and partnering with the brand and experience team on that facet as well. I didn't do it all by myself. Like there were so many different departments that always helped and contributed like L&D or training team at the time, systems, brand team, like I mentioned. But I was making sure that the, the portfolio was was moving harmoniously so that turn was getting done right into our standards. So, but it's grown. I mean, in 2021, it, the position became way too big for just me to manage it. You know, I was very grateful to have the support of leadership team to hire Zeb, who's our turn operations manager, who was able to just focus solely on turn. I always like to joke. I taught him everything he knows, but not everything I know. Um, and, <laughs> but he has, Creative ideas, wonderful individual, and so passionate. And it also came from on-site. So it helped a lot that he also has his own vision. And so we collaborate a lot together. And he's just done so much with the program. So we've been able yeah. to do a lot together. Yeah, Zeb's fun, fantastic. We hit, he is. I think he was on a shop talk, but I believe it was on yeah. TurnCon last year. Yeah, that, um, and at least on TurnCon. Yeah, yeah, that I, that I initially met him and was really, really impressed. So, you know, thinking about, you know, our core audience is mostly general managers and site level managers, certainly a lot of regional portfolio type managers, but really thinking about those general managers, because I have them come up to me all the time, you know, at a conference or when I'm shopping a property or whatever, and they realize, (laughs) oh, I'm the podcast guy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I get that question of... Hey, I've I've been here for five years. I've been here for you know, eight years, whatever. And it was probably something much like you and myself. We got into it like while we were in college, you know. And it was just kind of one of that those you know next step things, right? And it was like, okay, this this fits me for where I'm at right now. This may not be something I do long term, but they're at that point where they're like, I don't know if I want to. I really like what I'm doing, but where is it that I can go with this? Mm-hmm. You know, what's some good advice for making sure that they're ready? And so I want to kind of pose that question to you for those that are considering that right now. What kind of advice would you have for them? I would tell them a couple of things. First, before I even decided to move to College Station, Texas, I was actually getting ready to study for the GMAT exam because I wanted to go to grad school. And I had a whole career plan mapped out for myself that did not involve student housing. (laughs) And so I would say, don't really kind of limit yourself to what you have planned out for your life. Right. So like, you know, oh, I want to do this for this amount of time or I'm in leasing. I have to stay in leasing. That's not always the case. A lot of us started off on the sales floor and some of us either continued in sales or when in operations or in facilities. So, you know, I really think it's thinking about like what you're passionate about or if you need a different challenge or something that you could 
tribe that's kind of in a different, you know, facet within the organization that's not kind of directly in front of you. Some other things that I wish someone had said this to me was to reach out to people and maybe develop some, they don't have to be like official mentors, right? But Mm -hmm. people that you know, you can kind of call on when you're seeking career advice, because there wasn't always someone like that for me. I was lucky enough where I had a GM that cared a lot and invested in me. But, you know, outside of that, there wasn't really anyone that I felt like I can always pick up the phone and just talk through my career or things that I'm challenged, I'm challenged with. Should I get an executive coach? Should I not? Or here, should I move or whatever? You know, I had a great partner who actually I'm marrying soon, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but, you know, outside of that, there wasn't, and I wish, and I know there are people out there. And even when I say this now, people are like, oh, why didn't you just reach out to me? Like I would have been that person for you. And I think we don't ask for that enough. We don't ask for help enough. We don't ask for support enough and people not being afraid to do that. I've had a couple of people come up to me, even at like summit, our Scion summits that want to build those relationships. And I think th- those are those people that are looking for someone to continue investing them. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to do that. I'm sure there's lots of people that are happy to yeah. do that for individuals. So I would say that's a really big one. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what you see ahead for, I mean, obviously <laughs> we know what's happening with you over, you know, the next three to 12 months. <laughs> and I guess I should ask. So uh, when I come back from, from NMHC in Vegas and I go into LinkedIn, is Crystal Coleman still going to be there or is there a different last name that I need to <laughs> look for? That is a great question, but I it will not be changing my last name. It's too late at this point. So yes, you will find Crystal Coleman always. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to continue down the road of folks taking other people's last name or even the hyphenated thing. I think we're at a point where everybody's just like, keep my name. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I want to ask that for, for Scion though, anything on the horizon, you know, the next 12 months that you guys are rolling out either from an operation standpoint or anything that, that you can talk about. I will definitely say that we are, uh, I did, I shared this at summit too, but, We are investing a lot in our people. You know, we've done employee experience surveys, employee engagement surveys, but a real focus on onboarding and, you know, kind of taking that to the next level. And that's something that's not going to, it's not overnight. It's not a three, six month deal. It's an ongoing kind of initiative that's really here to stay. So really focusing on that over the next year and focusing on general managers, facilities managers first, and then kind of working through the other positions, even corporate positions as well. And then, you know, kind of like I did mention earlier, evaluating where it makes sense to integrate AI as needed. I know Entrada has some things that they're looking at and doing with AI as well. We try to maximize the use of the systems that we're currently in because logging into so many different apps on your phone for either a site team member or a resident is inefficient. It just kind of goes backwards at that point. And so we do like to stay abreast on what kind of some of those current partners that we are using and working with, what they have on their roadmap too. So, but yeah, those are probably the two biggest uh, focuses and initiatives that at least I'm a part of that we're focused on. Gotcha. Gotcha. When I started this profile series, a lot of folks would start talking about their plans for acquisitions and stuff, but interest rates being what they are today, nobody's talking about that. That's right. I was like, that's not something we're probably going to talk about today. <laughs> even, even if we could talk about it, there's no yeah. way that that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> exactly. Well, Crystal, it's, you know, I, I think we first met probably as far as face-to-face, you know, maybe three or four years ago at one of the LeaseCon events and I think we were on a panel together, but uh, thanks so much for, you've given us a lot of shout outs and, and support over the past three or four years as we've been growing out Student Housing Insight. I uh, appreciate that. And just thank you for all that you do for, you know, our industry. I mean, you're, you're a important voice. A lot of times I feel like your voice is back in the back room. Yeah. And working on the, you know, you're, you're not the type of person to take a, take a stage and, but you, you work in the background and impact so many people. And I just, and I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to get you on the podcast and looking forward to seeing the, uh, the married crystal. Yeah. <laughs> Still crystal Coleman. <laughs> well, will you be at, um, will you be at least con this year? 
That is my plan, actually. Yeah, myself and definitely Zeb, uh, maybe another team member will be at least on. So fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing you then if we bump into each other in yeah. Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not Crystal Coleman then, but. <laughs> It was a well, pleasure. Thank you. Well, so fantastic. Much. Have have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Again, a big thanks to Crystal for for giving us that time for that interview. We recorded that like right before she left for her her nuptials and um uh, crystal if you're listening congrats on the wedding i can't wait to see you at at least con in charlotte and find out how everything went well guys i think that does it for this episode thanks so much for for listening and if you found any value in it please 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 share this podcast with your colleagues i'd love for you to give us a shout out on linkedin we've also got a facebook page you should be following as well as an Instagram, that's going to be it. It's at SH Insight. Go follow that. We love, uh, you know, taking the things that you guys are doing on Instagram, especially at the site level and kind of promoting that and calling you guys out for the things that you're doing at your properties, especially any kind of, you know, great creative ideas that we feel like everybody in the industry, you know, should, should recognize. So make sure you go follow us there. Well, guys, I think that's it. I also want to thank our sponsor for this episode, BSB Design. If you're needing an architect in the student housing space, please give them a call. We'll have their info in the show notes. Guys, take care. Stay safe. Oh, one other thing I need to make sure I mention, Shop Talk. I've mentioned it before, but in case you're new to the the podcast, Shop Talk is the industry's monthly webinar. It's just a a chance for us to get together, talk about what's happening from a pre-leasing standpoint across the country. We also talk about how we get an update from NMHC on legislative updates and that type of thing. And then we typically have some topic of the month. This is not something, you know, Student Housing Insight is the producer and the host of it, but this is not our thing. This is, um, uh, Shop Talk is actually led by a group of individuals that are on our leadership committee that are that are all executives within the student housing space. And they give me great ideas on things that they want to hear more about. We go out and, you know, find folks that that can speak to it. So it's really important that you get plugged into that. You can get more information on that. You can see the previous shop talk episodes that we've had at shoptalk.info. And you can also register there to get the emails for when we schedule each monthly webinar. So I think the next one that's coming up is November 9th. I believe it's Thursday, November 9th, which is also my daughter's birthday. Wow. I'm going to have an 18 year old in the house. Anyway, uh, so guys, please, if you're, if you're in student housing, especially on the operation side, make sure you register for shop talk at shoptalk.info. Guys, stay safe and we'll talk to you soon.